It's great to see you this evening. It's great to be with you. Thank you for praying. And that was quite a long passage, so well done, Caitlin, for reading that to us. And you might want it out in front of you uh, this evening to look at. If you've got it on a phone or anything, then do feel free to grab that out. But we find ourselves in what's quite a famous story in the Bible, the Battle of Jericho, it's often called. Although you'll find that there's not actually that much fighting going on in the passage. There is some, though. And for some people, the battles and the the warfare in the book of Joshua is really quite difficult to stomach. And I'm not going to go into that tonight, but if that is something that you struggle with, uh, it's been one of your perhaps questions that you've wrestled with as you've read the Old Testament, I'd love to refer you to a talk just three weeks ago where we really tackled that in depth. And at the end of that talk, there's some really great resources you can go away and sort of explore it more for yourself. So I was reading uh, the passage this week, and I'm just going to draw out sort of two kind of spiritual lessons for us this evening. And um, really the first one came because I got stuck on the first verse of the passage. And I got stuck on it because as I was reading it, I was like, the people of Jericho were so thick. I mean, if you've got it in front of you, just read verse one, right? They barricade themselves in the city. And no one can go in and no one can go out. Now, I wonder if you could just imagine for a minute um, that the church here is Jericho. And we're inside it, obviously. And uh, an army comes on Turnham Green, which it did years ago. Anyway, an army came on Turnham Green and starts kind of just marching around the church. But you know that they want to come in the church. This is a land, this is a place they want what would you do? Maybe uh, just really quickly, buzz with your neighbor. Seriously, what would you do? If an army arrived now and was just marching around the church, what would you do? I'm going to ask for a bit of feedback, so see if you can come up with something interesting. What would you do? Great. So I'm, I'm a little bit deaf, so you're probably going to have to kind of, uh, kind of sort of speak up to me. But Abraham, what would you do? Uh, I'd hide. Abraham hides. Michaela? Hide. Anyone else? Anyone got a different response? Run away very fast. You see, I was with Sam, and that's why I thought they're so stupid. Why are they not just running away? I was like, seriously, that's like so dumb. They're just like sitting there like a waiting target going, yeah, get me. Um, I just thought they were really thick. Um, (laughs) So I started reflecting on it. And we know, we know that they were afraid. We know that they were afraid because back in chapter two, Rahab tells the spies who come, she says, we are all afraid of you. We know that your God led you out of Egypt. Your God parted the sea. We're afraid of you. We know that God's going to give you this land. So the people there, they knew that. And they didn't run away. And it got me thinking a little bit about life and and how we respond to different things. And I ended up thinking this is just such a picture of what happens when we get trapped in sin. Instead of running away, 
we get trapped further into the cycle of destruction, which eventually destroys us. And I thought the people of Jericho were kind of physically acting out, as it were, what happens to us spiritually when we get trapped in sin. And you see, sin is this awful kind of thing that gets into us. Sin is, um, sin is like, I'm going to do life my way instead of God's way. Sin is every time you say that. Sin is every time you deliberately walk outside of God's kind of parameters for the way things should be. Sin is every time you do something that's selfish, self-centered. Sin with the I in the middle of it. It's a classic thing they tell you in Sunday school as well because it's all about I. Sin is when we do stuff and it's just about me. And it forgets God, and it forgets that God is Lord, and it forgets that following God's ways are right, and it just does what I want. Sin has such a hold on us. And it's a little bit like, as well, a a sort of like an addiction. I I had someone in my family that had an awful heroin addiction, and it was terrible, and it, it kind of wrecked their body, and it was awful, awful, awful thing. And amazingly, she sort of come through that, but only just... Because that initial high that gets you hooked feels so good. And yet as you get drawn into that addiction, eventually it destroys you. And that is what sin does. Sometimes sin feels quite good at the start. Like we all like to be a little bit naughty sometimes. It can feel actually quite good initially. But then it traps us. It paralyzes us, and it doesn't free us, it enslaves us. And that's what's happened to the people of Jericho. They were a people who'd abandoned the ways of Yahweh. They were a people that practiced awful things like child sacrifice. They had a sort of despotic type ruler, and and there was just stuff that was not right, and they were just trapped. You see, sin is a robber. Ultimately, it's a joy killer, and it is a death bringer and they sat there in their sin and waited to be destroyed now there's lots of really interesting things that are going on in our passage today there's a huge amount of symbolism in it Um, there's loads of uh, things that we could kind of plow into and and look in depth with Um, essentially it's a story about recreation you know whenever you find the number seven in the bible it's a kind of reminder back to creation itself and so here we go the people of God are marching for seven days and then around it seven times and the number seven's repeated and it's because it's a story of recreation it's a story that essentially is a little bit about what the whole of the bible is about which is actually God saying I want to bring you out of sin and into life I want to bring you away from death to eternity with me. I want to bring you away from destruction to freedom in me. And this story essentially is sort of a picture all about that. And there's rich and deep symbolism that you can go away and really plow the depths of it. Uh, But what it's so encouraging us to do is to stop for a moment and say this sin stuff though is really serious. It's really serious. And it's serious enough that God won't just allow it to be. He does want to get rid of it and gets rid of it. 
Now, um, we meet two amazing characters in the story that bookend, kind of as it were, this chapter that we have, chapter six. And one of those characters is Rahab, who we heard about a little bit last week. And the other character is a guy called Akan, who comes in chapter seven. And these two characters are really, really interesting to look into because they so are so contrasted. Um, so, on the one hand, we have Rahab. Rahab is a prostitute. She's grown up in Jericho. She is kind of a product of that land. She's a product of the people that have turned their backs on Yahweh, uh, and that is Rahab. She is an outsider to the people of God. Yet it is never hopeless. There's always a way out of sin and that is to turn to God in faith and turn towards him and as you do that as you turn towards him as you repent and turn away from your old life and turn towards him he sets you free and that's exactly what happens to Rahab it could have happened to all these other people in Jericho too if they just turned. Some of them, I'm sure, did on the edge. We don't know the whole story. But Rahab turns. And so she is rescued. On the other hand, we have this character, Akan. Akan is an insider. He is an Israelite. He is a circumcised warrior in the army. He's marched around the walls of Jericho. He's watched the Lord Almighty tumble the walls down. He's a total insider. And yet he finds himself outside. See, Archon does this um, terrible thing. The people of God are told, right, when you enter the land, you cannot take any of the plunder. You can't take any of the, the silver and the gold. And what happens is greed overtakes Akan, and so he grabs the silver and the gold. And he's like, oh, yeah, I've got some silver and gold. Um, and then he knows. He knows he's done a wrong thing. And you know when you know you've done a wrong thing, what do most of us do? We just go really quiet about it. We just kind of hide it away. We put it under the carpet. And that's exactly what Akan does. He gets his silver and gold and he literally buries it in the ground under his tent and sort of sits on it. Oh, I'm okay. I didn't do anything really. He hides it away. But the problem is, is that God Almighty is not a God we can hide from. He's the Alpha and the Omega. He flung stars into space. He's absolutely incredible, amazing. He knows all things. You can't hide your sin from him. And so he gets found out. And as he gets found out, um, it's bad. It's, it's really bad. They have to kill him and all those that were close to him. Because his sin has brought in disobedience right into the heart of the people of God. It's affected them. And it's a really really poignant and really serious story and it's meant to make us feel a bit funny it's meant to be a wake-up call to us that disobedience and sin will ultimately lead to death and destruction 
and God is not having any of it in his promised land. And so Achan has to be removed. It's a picture to us today of what ultimately happens if we don't deal with our hidden sin. And it's really tricky because today it is so different for us because we have Jesus and what Jesus has done for us by dying on the cross and rising again for us means that we have somewhere to go with our sin. We can take it to Jesus and say, will you forgive me, Jesus? And he says, yes, you've turned towards me. I will forgive you. Yes, that's why I died, because I love you. We do have to turn, but as we do that, he's there ready, waiting to forgive us. And you see, the thing is that this shows us is that it doesn't matter what type of sin you have. Because traditionally, some people might have thought that Rahab was much more of a sinner. You know, she was a prostitute. Ooh, um, terrible, terrible, terrible. Or Akan, well, he just kind of stole some goods that wasn't very good. In God's eyes, there isn't a like, this is a worse sin and that's a not so bad sin. It's an even playing field with God. Sin is sin. Disobedience is disobedience. The, the key issue, the key thing is what you do with that. Do you bury it like Achan and hide it away? Or will you take it instead and turn to God? And of course, Rahab turns from God and she has this complete and utter transformation in her life. She um, ends up marrying one of the spies and, uh, and they have a kid and they, they end up being like the great, great, great grandparents of Jesus. She has an utterly restored life, an utterly transformed life. Achan ends in destruction. And so I think for us tonight, there is a real, like, massive challenge from this passage to just go, Lord, please just reveal any hidden sin. Help me bring it to you. I don't want to be disobedient. I want to follow your ways. I want to stay close to you, God. Would you forgive me of stuff I get wrong? And do you know what? Like, I have to do that every day. God, I'm sorry. <laughs> And we don't like to talk about it very much because we, we'd rather talk about the fact that God really loves you and he smiles on you and he's your best friend and he is all those things. But sin is serious. And it's serious because his eternity is not going to be polluted because when we get to eternity, there's going to be no more tears. There's going to be no more suffering. And if there's going to be an eternity with no more tears and no more suffering, then there needs to be an eternity without any sin. So it's quite a serious passage, but really important. And it might be tonight that before you leave from here, you do want to respond to that. You do want to kneel down and just repent and say, sorry, God, for my disobedience. But I think 
the passage wants to talk about something else key to. So I, I think there's two parts in this passage. So there's that. And then the, the second thing that I really think God wants to speak to us about is about the gift of faith. Now, you're all in church tonight, so you um, have a bit of faith uh, of some sort, or you're exploring faith. And again, I wonder if you want to just turn to someone near you and sort of say, what is faith? What do you think faith is? What's faith? What would you say faith is? You can have a little think if you're, you're on your own. I know COVID-wise, we can only talk to someone sort of vaguely close to us, but <laughs> what's faith? anyone have any um, anything they want to share any good thoughts like how would you describe what the word faith is anyone oh we've all gone really quiet <laughs> yes yes and I've kind of my I'm so tired I've gone blank but I know what you mean it's faith is um Hoping for what's not yet seen. Yeah, being certain of what is not yet seen. Yeah. JJ said it's a bit like trust, trusting. That was pretty cool. Anyone else? There we go. Faith. Faith is a gift that God gives us. And it's a gift to treasure and to nurture. It's a deep trust and assurance as Maggie was saying in what's not yet seen but that we know because of our relationship with God and because what the scripture tells us and we choose to believe that we have faith and I think this passage is saying to us tonight as well that faith is something to be nurtured really really deeply so um, Joshua is a brilliant example to us in this he responds to God's holiness at the end of chapter 5 and removes his sandals as he kind of spends his time just going God I believe in you I believe you and then as he listens to God he starts to obey God and in the chapter at the beginning that we had read to us tonight you know he hears from the angel of the Lord as to how he's to go about fighting uh, the battle of Jericho as it were so he believes God and trusts God and then obeys God's words and we see in verse 27 of our passage tonight at the end of it that Joshua's fame spreads across the whole of the lands around He's given great success because of his faith. It's not because of the size of his army. Um, all the men can kind of shut your ears right now. But the army have been recently circumcised. Ouch. Um, and they have had a little bit of time to recover. But they've been basically these recently circumcised band of kind of desert wanderers. Who I'm no doubt were fit. I'm no doubt they did some training. But they were hardly like, you know, that, that great picture of perfect strength army. You know, he didn't win the battle because his army was the best. He didn't get success because he was an amazing leader. 
He didn't necessarily like, um, you know, I, I, I can't imagine him going up to like his like leadership team and being like, right guys, the strategy for this battle is that we're going to march around on seven days and then on the last day seven times and then we're going to blow on some ram's horns. It's going to be great. I mean, it must have sounded kind of weird. But because he's listening to God and he then has faith in God, he obeys God's instructions. And in Hebrews uh, verse, uh, chapter 11, verses 30, 31, it says this, it was by faith that the walls of Jericho fell. It was by faith the prostitute Rahab, because she welcomed the spies, was not killed with those who were disobedient. Faith is critical. And from the place of faith springs hope. And if there's one thing I think God wants us to take into the world from this passage tonight is our gift of faith. You see, people around us here in secular UK don't know what to believe. So they sort of believe a bit of everything and anything, generally. And yet, the statistics say that Generation Z is growing up feeling the most lonely. And one article I read said this, they're the most stressed, depressed, and exam-obsessed group of people ever to exist. Despite the amazing technology we have, despite the knowledge that we carry, there's a lot of unrootedness around. There's a lack of hope around. And I was sharing this right at the, the 9.30 congregation this morning. I wish we recorded that one. I'm like getting old. I'm not awake at this time of night. But um, I was sharing this with them there. And a guy had wandered into the service and he grabbed me afterwards. He was like, oh, hello, I'm so-and-so. I was like, oh, hi, nice to meet you. He said, yeah, yeah, I came to church today because I'm actually, I'm from the council. And we just think that there's going to be such a difficulty with mental health and difficulties at the moment. And we want to kind of connect to the church. So what you said really spoke to me and so I said oh that's that's good yeah the biggest thing I have to offer is is faith and out of that's bringing a lot of hope you know it was wonderful this week one of the stories that blessed me the most was um, a mum at one of our toddler groups saying I want to get baptized because I've seen faith in people here and I want to I want to join in too I I'm believing in God too I'm drawn to that and I I took this lady's mum's funeral a, a few years back or so and and I remember at the funeral just going which I'm just going to preach the gospel man because we've got such faith to share and through the lovely lovely work of Annie who works in our toddler groups this lady has been attracted towards that faith. And in a world that's feeling a bit hopeless and rootless, one of the most beautiful things we can do is to nurture our faith and take it out there with us. And I'm not saying that that's easy to do. I'm not suggesting you go and start Bible bashing people. But just 
through your everyday existence, being open and honest about how you root yourself in God is profoundly powerful. Just last night, I was on the fairground with my littlest son and some of his friends, and it like started chucking down with rain, so we sought a bit of shelter in here, and a mum came in with me, and we just sought a bit of shelter. We fogged afterwards, people, I promise. Um, so we sought a bit of shelter in here, and she was just wondering, she's like, I just, I feel real peaceful in this place, and she started reading a, a Bible verse in the Bible. Do you mind if I take a picture of this for my Instagram page? And I'm like, oh, yeah, that's fine. It's like, there's something. We've got something. <laughs> We've got a lot. We've got faith. And out of that springs deep hope. So will you tonight do all you can to protect and nurture the gift of faith that has been given to you? And I just finish with this uh, quote from Timothy Keller. He says this. No other faith says not only that we will be resurrected as individuals, but that the material world will be renewed as well. And so human society is destined not for ultimate oblivion, but for the longed-for goal of perfect prosperity, love, justice, and peace. And this hope is not wishful thinking, but it is grounded in history, the sign of which is the risen Christ. The risen Jesus said he was not a ghost. Our future is not an arethial existence in some other world, but a renewed, resurrected existence in this one. This is the fullest possible hope. The resurrection of Christ promises us not merely some future consolation for the life we have lost, but the restoration of life we might have lost here and infinitely more. It promises the world and life that we have always desperately longed for, but never had. We have faith in a God that is coming to renew this earth and renew heaven and renew us and bring us into perfect relationship with him forever and all eternity where there is no pain and no suffering, where no one's ever lonely or left out, where there's nothing that can destroy you, where your dreams are not squashed, where creativity thrives in abundance and you are all that you were created to be and every single part of your body is totally and utterly free and renewed and perfected in him we have an amazing faith do you not walk around with it dancing and on the days when things get you down because they do and we all experience that from time to time if you cling to your faith you are lifted up we're lifted above what's just before us in the natural now we have this gift of faith will you take it today Will you do everything you can to protect it and nurture it? Get alongside those that have greater faith than you. Read the word of God. Be in it. Talk to God. Walk around with him in your pocket, as it were. And so those are the two things. That was a bit longer than I thought. <laughs> Sin is serious. Deal with it. Don't be an archon. Nurture the gift of faith God has given to you. And we need to just respond. I'm going to invite the band up. But um, do you know what? Tonight as we respond, um, we're going we're gonna to have a couple of people at the end of the service to pray for people tonight. We'll do that in a COVID secure way that we'll, we'll explain when we're 
we're finished. So do stay behind if you want to be prayed for. But I actually just want to invite you tonight in the worship that if you want to make a response tonight, just privately with God, just to privately either deal with some hidden sin or say, Lord, would you just strengthen my faith in you? I just want to invite you to kneel as we worship in some way or another. If you, if you physically kneeling is not good, you may just want to put out your hands towards God, but make a physical response to God yourself on your own before him. So I'm just going to pray that the Holy Spirit comes and starts ministering to us because God wants to deal with sin and he wants to strengthen and grow our faith. God, we're grateful that we have um, a bit of time now just in, in worship space. Lord, would you come, Holy Spirit, come and minister to your precious people. You love them so much. Lord, you love us enough that you will convict us of sin when we need convicting. You love us enough that you want our faith relationship with you to grow and grow. You love us enough not to leave us alone. 